0: As I read our passage for this morning, from James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. The word of God to us this morning. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Dylan. It's uh, really good to be with you this morning. I am the high school director here at New City. And uh, yeah, it's an honor and privilege to get to preach the word this morning to you. We're finishing up our series in James. We've been going through it for the last several months. And I just wanted to take a a couple moments to recap a little bit of what we've been talking through uh, so far. Um, you know, one thing that's important to highlight is James is an instructional book. So uh, there's a lot of different genres of scripture, and each one has a little uh, a different point of what it's trying to communicate, but James is very instructional and very practical in how to orient it. James is trying to remind the church how to live a life of love that's consistent with the way of Jesus. Uh, there are more imperative verbs in James used than any other New Testament uh, letter. Um, James is instructing the church how to get through what they're going through. And so that's why we uh, named our series that way. Uh, but as we've gone through it over and over again, there's been highly practical teaching on how to live in accordance to the truth that's been revealed in Jesus. And this leads to uh, the, the second thing that's important to remember is uh, James is trying to remind us uh, that truth has been fully revealed and embodied in the person of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we find life and truth when we live connected to Jesus alone. And James reminds us that truth must be a way of, of how we live our lives. It's not just something that we think about, we believe the right things, but what we believe is going to impact the way that we live. What I believe and what I know to be true has to have some sort of impact and implication on what my life looks like. And finally, one last thing that's worthy of highlighting that's uh, important for what we're talking through this morning is that James has such a deep love and commitment to the church. This entire letter is James' way of speaking truth and love to the, the scattered believers across the Roman Empire. And he challenges them uh, to live more faithfully in their identity in Jesus. He challenges them, but he does so with such deep compassion and love. And one way we see this is the way that James addresses the church. Nineteen different times, he calls the church, my dear brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters, the community. Uh, of believers who've been brought together under Christ, the new fellowship who are, uh, of people who are now children of God. And because of this, James, because they're a family, James is highly concerned about them and for their spiritual well-being. Because they're family, because they belong together in Christ, he has a deep commitment to them and a desire to see them be, uh, live a fulfilling life in their life with Jesus, the final two verses in James is what we're going through this morning. And this theme hits these verses. It's not a, a normal goodbye. It's, it's not a customary um, like goodbye in this letter or hey, send greetings to these other people. James is writing a, a, a word of encouragement, a charge, an exhortation that he wants to leave in the minds and the hearts of the people in the church, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we're going to see over the next few minutes, James is calling the church to be invested in the spiritual well-being of the church, to be committed to the discipleship journey of their fellow brothers and sisters. So let's see how James does this. Uh, The first point we're going to walk through is the reality of wandering. Verse 19, James speaks to the reality of wandering in the faith. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth, maybe you found yourself wandering before. You're not the greatest with directions, and you found yourself lost on the open road. Or maybe you're like me, and you go to Harris Teeter for one item, and you spend, it seems like, two hours wandering up and down every single aisle trying to find this one thing. But this isn't the kind of wandering that James is talking about Um, in this passage. He's actually thinking of a very specific kind of wandering, and it's it's a wandering from truth. The reality that James is telling us is that there are going to be times when people in the faith, people who are following Jesus, wander away from truth. And this kind of wandering, it's not entirely innocent. There's something within the person that is, they know what's going on. There's a defiance that they have, or uh, they're they're wandering away. They they have a willful willful understanding of what's going on. It kind of recalls the 40 years of wilderness wanderings of Israel in the desert because of their own disobedience and unwillingness to follow God. No one is perfect. We're going to mess up, and we're going to sin. But this doesn't mean that we, too, are wanderers. The kind of wandering James is addressing is a wandering that deviates from truth. Someone who has veered very drastically from the truth they had been given and received in Jesus. Because truth is revealed in Jesus, because he's the embodiment of truth, to wander from truth is to wander from Jesus. To drift away from life that's connected with him. And James is addressing people in the faith who have stopped living their lives according to the truth in Jesus. What causes this to happen? Why are some people tempted to drift away from Jesus in this way? I think there's a lot of answers we could go through in this, but I just wanna look at three this morning. The first is uh, because of suffering. Suffering is something that every single one of us is going to have to face. No one's exempt from it. We all are going to go through trials, and there's going to be some that are harder to endure than others. It's for this reason that many people wander from truth. How can God be good with the suffering we see in the world? How can He be all powerful and let this happen in my life? Our experience doesn't match up with what we believe to be true. But, dear brothers and sisters, If you know somebody who's wandering in this way, or if you are struggling with this, remember how James reminds us to view suffering in our lives. He says in chapter one, when trials and troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance has fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When we see trials and sufferings as opportunities and not obstacles, we open ourselves to how God can use the hardships we face as a way to make us more like Jesus, because that is what he can do with them when they're in his hands. It doesn't always make sense to us why we go through the troubles and struggles that we do, but this does not mean that God is not all good or that he doesn't love us. In fact, I believe it's exactly because God is good in loving that He can bring good out of the struggles and suffering that we face. Only He can bring beauty from ashes. Only He can make what was meant for evil to be good. Only He can take what is dead and make it alive again. The struggles we endure within us uh, build endurance and patience to learn to hold tightly to Jesus and nothing else. The second reason why some wander from truth is because of sin. At the root of sin, it's the questioning of whether God is actually right. There's a pride and arrogance that rises within us to say, is God really right about what he says is true? There's another way that feels so right within me. And I want to do what feels right to me. I've got to be true to myself and I've got to live out my own truth. And in the end, we become governors of our own truth and we give ourselves the power to decide what we think is right and wrong. And in short, we crown ourselves to be kings and queens of our little kingdoms and gods of our own universes. And we cling tightly to our own truth and we move away from truth in Jesus. And we make ourselves prone to wander. And the third reason why many wander from truth is because of false stories that we believe about ourselves or the world. Are we living in the true gospel story of our identity that's rooted in Jesus or a false one that we're writing for ourselves? Like any false story, it's based on a lie. And uh, it's a lie that says, You are what you do. You are what you have, you are, uh, you're worth as much as your bank account says about you. You're only as good as who you're connected with. You're only as good as what you've done or what you haven't done. All of these stories have one thing in common and it's that we make ourselves the center of the story. And when we forget the true story, the gospel story that God invites us into, that your identity is rooted in Jesus, you are a child of God, redeemed and forgiven, beloved and delighted in, that you can live from approval and not for acceptance. When we forget this, it can be so tempting to fall into these false stories. And the longer we let these lies stick around, the more prone we're going to be to wander. Anything, anything, apart from the gospel sets us up for wandering. And this is something that we have to be aware of. We see stories all the time of Christians in the news who have their wandering exposed. Embezzlement or fraud, sex scandals, or other moral failings. Sadly, the list just goes on. Everyone sees this and knows about it. In the parable of the prodigal son, it's the the son who disowns his father who takes his own inheritance, runs away from home, and then squanders everything that he had. I'm sure this probably made the village's front page news. Yet there's another kind of wandering that's less known, but it's even more dangerous. It's not the kind that's out in the open for everyone to see, but the quiet wandering that can so easily take place within us, and nobody knows about it. After the wandering prodigal son returns... We, we get an interesting uh, twist in the older brother's response. And at first, it seems so clear who the wandering son is. It's the one who leaves and squanders everything. But which one ends up being the wanderer in the end? The one who stayed home. The one who did all of the right things, who outwardly had it all together, yet inwardly he was wasting away, furious at his father's generosity in not getting what he thought he deserved. He was the center of his own story. You can have it all together outwardly, yet inwardly you're drifting further and further away from truth. Wandering from truth is rarely a quick process, One commentator calls spiritual wandering the result of slow and gradual decline. The severe kind of wandering that James is is, uh, talking about here rarely comes all at once, but it's the culmination of lies and sins that when left unchecked for a long time causes us to drift further and further away from the truth. It's difficult to say, but the reality is that some people will wander in the Christian faith and the consequences can be severe. James says life and death are on the line. Verse 20, you can be sure that whoever brings back the sinner from wandering will save that person from death. James is making us aware of the reality of this severe kind of wandering and the major implications at stake. But praise be to God though, that there is a remedy to wandering. One of my favorite movies growing up was The Lion King. There were a few movies that were always on repeat in my home as a little kid, and Lion King was definitely one of them. There's the scene where Mufasa and Simba are up on top Pride Rock, and they're looking out over everything, and Mufasa in his majestic voice says, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. But Simba replies, what about that shadowy place over there? And Mufasa replies, that's beyond our borders. You must never go there. And you know the movie, Simba couldn't say no, and he wanders off uh, to the shadowy place, and Mufasa has to come and rescue him and bring him back. But I love this scene because it perfectly describes the concept of wandering and its remedy. If wandering implies leaving and straying and drifting, um, then the opposite would be to stay close, to remain in. In a word, the opposite of wandering is abiding, to remain, to stay, and to dwell. This is exactly what it means to abide, and it's exactly what we are called to do on our discipleship journey with Jesus. Everything the light of Jesus' truth touches is the realm of his kingdom and the place where his truth is found. And this is where we are called to stay, to remain in the light of truth, to abide in Jesus. There's a shadowy place beyond the borders that is so tempting to go to, but we must be wise and careful not to drift from the light, but to be diligent to abide in the light, not wander from it. For it's only in the light of Jesus that truth and freedom are found. Listen to Jesus' words from John chapter 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The remedy to wandering is abiding Staying connected to Jesus, the vine. Remaining in and living according to truth uh, revealed in him. And this is what it means to be a disciple. And this is how we grow in following Jesus. Here's another way to think about it. Uh, When I was in high school, we uh, would go, uh, my youth group, uh, we would go to the mountains in Colorado. And looking back, this was just a crazy idea from Indiana to Colorado, and you take sixty kids and you pack them on a coach bus and you drive. Like it was a it was a lot. <laughs> um, but I went a few times as a uh, as a student and then led the trip a couple times when I was in college. And man, it was a a beautiful place and it was uh, my life was changed at this camp. And um, I just loved going to it. And there's so many fun things that we did. And one of them. Uh, was at the, the camp, there was a trail, uh, we're already in the mountains, but there's a trail that started at the camp that would take you up even further into the mountains, and eventually would, you would get to this landing that we called Soldier Mountain. And so Soldier Mountain was always a big day, because it took a lot of the day, and we would um, all hike up together, and the base of the trail, though, like right when it begins, it's, it's really steep. And so it, there's a lot of effort and endurance that it would take to to just start up the path, and then as you go, there's a lot of like dirt ravines and rocks and roots that you have to climb over and watch out for and sometimes the path would open up really wide and it was easy to walk through, but then there would be other places where you know 20 feet to the left or the right, there's just a cliff, and uh, you, like you had to be really careful as you would walk up it and you know for a lot of uh, a lot of the students, you know, the fun thing to do was just to run up as fast as you could. Um, I did not try to do that. <laughs> um, but you knew that you were close to the top. As you, like the, It started to get a little steeper again, but there were these larger, looser rocks, and you have to climb up on top of them and be careful, you know, which one you put your weight on. But you were close, and man, when we got to the top, it was so worth it. Like any hike, it's so important, though, to stick to the path. It was crucial that everyone stayed and remained on the path together, that they abided to the trail to get to the top safely. Just the same, we have to be careful to stay on the path as we find and follow Jesus. There's a remedy to spiritual wandering, And it's to remain closely to Jesus, not drift away from him, but abide more faithfully in him and his word more than anything else in the world. I just, I want to bring to mind again, um, what's the heart of what James is saying here, the nature of his words in these two verses. Remember, he's exhorting the church. He's calling them to a deeper level of concern for one another. Another way to say this, he's communicating to them responsibility, the responsibility that they have to one another as brothers and sisters, especially to wanderers. Verse 20 in the ESV is translated like this. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let it be known, says James, that when someone strays from the truth, the church has the responsibility to pursue that person just as God is pursuing them. Because it's always possible to repent and be restored and for God to save their soul and for... uh, to save them from death and for sins to be forgiven. The journey of discipleship is never meant to be an individual one. It's communal. Everyone in the church is to be an active participant in one another's spiritual growth. It's what we do together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one way, one way I think we can define what uh, discipleship is, is we are abiding together in truth. Something powerful happens when this gets lived out. We disciple one another as we remain in the light together. We disciple one another when we stick to the path together. We can prevent some from wandering through this by the way we abide together in truth. And then when someone wanders, we show them the way back through the way that we love them. But we can't do this on our own. Let's, for a moment, go back to Soldier Mountain with me. Uh, The only thing that made this hike more difficult was trying to do it at night. And we did that. (laughs) When the weather was nice, we would hike up Soldier Mountain uh, in the middle of the night because we wanted to camp out um, under the stars. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, But everything was dark. And because of this, it was so much easier to lose track of the path and wander off. So here we go. We're going to camp out under the stars together and we're at the base of the trail and you can maybe see like 10 feet in front of you. And the only way that we journey up this is by doing it together as a community. So we line up single file and then one at a time, we start up the mountain together. When we would do this, there'd be one person who's leading And one person would take, you know, they would go a couple of steps and they would try to figure out, okay, what's the best path here to take? And they would find something that was safe and then they would turn back to the person behind them and they would show them the way. They would reach back at times and help pull them up and now they knew how to get there and that person would move on and this person then would look back and find the next person behind them and show them the way And this would just keep going on over and over and over again as we would move up. Constantly one person moving ahead, knowing the path, showing me, and then me learning, reaching back, and helping the next person. And we would keep moving up and uh, doing this until every single person had someone in front of them or behind them to help out or to be helped by. And we would do this until we made it to the top. And a lot of people would like to race up the mountain during the day, but it was, it was impossible and it was not smart to try to do it as fast as you could because we had to do it and move as a unit together up the mountain. We were responsible to one another. We were concerned for each other's well-being, for wandering off the path could have been catastrophic. We needed one another for this journey to be possible. We needed each other to stick to the path together. And this is such a beautiful image of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. We disciple one another as we abide in truth together. It's what Paul, I think, has in mind when he tells the Corinthian church, follow me as I'm following after Jesus. Who are you climbing up the mountain with? Can you name brothers or sisters in your life ahead of you that can help you show you the way and stay on the path? Do you have people alongside you that you can endure this journey with? Or do you know who is behind you that you can help show the way? We need to have people in each phase ahead of us, with us, and behind us. We're not racing up as individuals, but we're moving together slowly, helping each other out. Because we're concerned for each other's well being. Uh, but this requires that we have relationships that are characterized by knowing one another, of truly knowing others and being known by them. There's no way we can live this out without being more intentionally involved in the lives of those around us. We're on this journey together, and through the Holy Spirit, we can help one another. As children of God, we're responsible to one another and called to be invested in each other's discipleship journeys. So how do we do this? <clears throat> this morning I just want to share a couple of ways that we can apply this. John Stott, I love how he describes the church. He says that the church is to be a fellowship of concern, to be people who are concerned about those who sit to our left and our right on Sunday mornings. One thing we can do is ask ourselves, what's my level of concern for other believers? Is church more about me and my own individual experience and getting up the mountain as fast as I can? Or does it include the experience of others as well? This is why we talk about the importance at New City of being in a circle. We love being in rows together, but being in circles is where we can know others and be known by them and uh, journey through uh, finding and following Jesus together. It's one way that we grow in our concern uh, for one another. Another way we do this is by intentionally praying for our community and for those that we know might be wandering. Uh, There's so many ways that this can look. (coughs) Excuse me. But one way I heard this recently was a a mom who for seven years committed to praying and fasting for her son who was wandering. Not only should we pray, but we should be watchful for opportunities to love and to remind one another of the truth of the gospel. If someone close to you is veering from the path and heading towards the cliff, (coughs) you're not just going to watch them. The text says twice how wanderers are brought back. Back. How can a wanderer be brought back if someone doesn't first go after them to bring them back? This is why we pursue the wanderer in love. Take steps towards them. Give them a call or a text or or take them to lunch. But just as God moves towards us in love, we take initiative and move towards them in love as well. It's not us who saves, nor is it us who forgives, But when we pursue others, we partner with God in his pursuits of those who wander to bring restoration and forgiveness in their lives. And this is the spirit of how we are to pursue them, not to bring them back through shame or judgment or condemnation, but to restore them with gentleness and love. Galatians 6.1 says... (coughs) Excuse me. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. And 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. We're called to be a fellowship of concern. And we do this by praying for one another and pursuing one another in love But another point of application that I really want us to consider is who are you journeying up the mountain with? Who is ahead of you? Who is with you? And who is behind you? Another way to think about this is if you were to, to wander, if you began wandering, who would know about it? Who would be the voice that would call you back? And you... Uh, Are you walking closely enough with somebody else to notice if they begin to wander and knew them well enough to be able to speak into their lives? And finally, if you are wandering today, please hear. You are never, never too far from the path. The quickest way back is simply by repenting, (coughs) which literally means to turn around to turn and see that God has been pursuing after you this entire time and desires to bring you back in, to restore you, and to forgive you. Just as James says in James 4.4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Spiritual wandering is a reality in the Christian community. But praise God, there is a remedy to wandering through abiding in Jesus. And thanks be to God that he has given us the gift of one another to share the responsibility of abiding together in Jesus to help each other stick to the path together. Our bottom line for this morning, brothers and sisters, let's help each other find and follow Jesus. To God alone be the glory. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you and praise you that you are a God of grace and mercy and love, and that you are so good to pursue after us. We don't deserve anything you have done for us, yet because of your love that we've been restored to you, that we may know you and be known by you. <coughs> Would you help us be a fellowship of concern, a community who cares deeply for one another, who walk together on this discipleship journey of finding and following you. And it's in your name that we pray this, Jesus. Amen.